James chapter number 2 this evening. And again, I want to preach a message to you entitled, A Faith That Works. A Faith That Works. We're going to begin reading this evening in verse number 14 of James chapter number 2. Here the Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful uh, to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight, Lord. I thank you for just the blessing it's been to be in thy house already this evening. And now, Father, I pray that you would just use me in a powerful way, Lord. Just help me to be used of the Lord. I pray that uh, you would open my uh, mouth, Lord. May I speak that which would be pleasing unto thee. Lord, I ask tonight that you would open the understanding of each and every heart of those that are in attendance, those that are listening over the radio, watching over the internet. Lord, I just pray that thy blessed will be done. And we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come here to James chapter number 2, we're talking about, we're dealing with the subject of faith. And I would ask you this evening as the main idea of the message tonight, what I want you to come to the conclusion of at the end of this message is to be able to answer a question on whether or not your faith is alive this evening or whether your faith is dead. We're dealing with the subject of faith. I want you to understand tonight that the book of James is written to believers. And as we're talking about this idea of faith, we understand what faith is. According to the Bible in the book of Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, You may describe faith in the book of Hebrews as well as looking unto Jesus. And that truly is what faith is. It is looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ in everything, in all things. Um, One of the ways that I enjoy illustrating or that I like to illustrate faith when I'm talking to young people is that faith in God is a dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is literally taking our hands off of our own lives, letting go of our plans and our desires and all the things that we want for ourselves and taking our life and placing it in God's hand and trusting God with our lives. That's what faith is. It is a dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ for everything that we have, everything that we need, everything that we desire. We rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look here, What we find in verse number 14, if you'll look back there with me once again, the the Bible says here, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Skip over to verse 17. He says here, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So we understand what faith is, and faith is one of these um, interesting things that God has given to each and every one of us. As we study what faith is, we understand that faith is something that can be increased, okay? We can increase our faith, which stands true reason that at times our faith can be diminished as well. When I think about Peter, when Peter wanted to walk on the water to the Lord Jesus Christ, it took great faith in God to be able to step outside of that boat and begin to walk upon the water. And yet, as soon as he saw the waves and the storm and how boisterous it was, he began to sink. He began to doubt. He had a great faith, but that great faith at moments can be diminished. We also know that our faith can be very strong, yet our faith at other times can be very weak. 
We uh, see here in this passage, the Bible says also about our faith, our faith can be alive. Our faith can be thriving. It can be filled with energy, filled with service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet at other times, we can have a dead faith. And I want you to see this evening is to be able to answer that question. Are you sitting here tonight having a dead faith or is your faith alive and well and thriving in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, as we look at this, it would seem as though there is a contradiction in the book of James. And many people have, um, contra- have, have said that the book of James is a very controversial book because he's dealing with works. As you look at verse number 17, the Holy Spirit tells us here, "...even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone." Again, right off the bat, you may be thinking, this sounds like a little bit of a contradiction with the teachings of the Apostle Paul. And I want to share that with you. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it almost would seem like there is a contradiction going on here. Paul says salvation is by faith alone without any works whatsoever. Here in James 2 and verse 17, the Bible says, Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I want to clarify for you, there is no contradiction within the Word of God. There is no contradiction found here in this passage of Scripture. When we look back in Ephesians and we look at what Paul is dealing with, when Paul speaks of of works, he is dealing with the subject of salvation. He is saying that when it comes to you and I trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it is by faith alone void of any works. It is our faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And if we believe what Jesus has done for us, having confessed our sins, we receive Him as Lord and Savior, we have eternal life. There's no work involved in that whatsoever. Jesus paid all the work that needed to be done. When we come to James, the contradiction is not there. When James is speaking of works in chapter 2, and particularly here in verse number 17, he's not speaking about the subject of salvation. Remember with me again, James was written to a group of believers. We are talking about God's people, born again, saved people. And he says here, faith without works is dead, being alone. He's not speaking a works-based salvation. I'm not preaching to you tonight on a works-based salvation, but rather what James is talking about in our passage tonight is a faith in God that produces obedience to God. Works. Good works. And so as we look at this, I want you to keep that idea in the forefront of your mind. Faith in God that produces obedience to God, which is good works. You know, in reality tonight, every one of us ought to be busy for the Lord. Every one of us ought to be constantly, actively serving the Lord in some capacity or another. If we truly have faith like we claim to have, if we truly see God the way that we ought to see the Lord, then it will drive us to be obedient to God. If we have the right view of who our God is, it will drive us to the fact that we need to be obedient and be serving the Lord on a regular basis in our lives. 
when we come to the place where we see, yes, Lord, I believe, I truly believe, God, that your ways are higher than my ways. I believe, God, that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I believe, God, that you do know what is best for me. You are infinitely wiser and holier than I am. I can trust you with my life. When we come to the place where we are willing to take our hands off of our own life and rest our life upon the hands of the Lord Jesus then that faith ought to drive us to an obedience to God. And yet we see all the time men and women, boys and girls who are in church, every time the doors are open, they claim to have great faith in God. They'll sit in church and they'll make sure their tie is perfectly straight and they'll tell you all day long that they've got faith in God. And my question is, where is the evidence? Where are the works? Where is the obedience to God that backs up the faith that they claim to have? Again, I want you to look back in verse number 14, and we find an interesting word here. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I have marked this word in my Bible, the word say. Notice in verse 14, he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say that he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? I have circled, once again, that word say. You notice the Bible does not say, if a man has faith and hath not works, can faith save him? We're not talking about a person that has faith. He said, if a man says that he has faith, if he claims to have faith, but he has not works, can faith save him? He goes on to say again, faith without works is dead being alone. And so what I want you to see as we look at this is a simple saying, simple words without any evidence, without any works to back up those words. It's just vain words. It's a vain saying. There must be evidence. There must be proof of their faith. Faith without works is useless and vain. And he gives us an illustration of this. Look with me in verse number 15. He says here, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? You know, this would have the same idea as if somebody that you know, a brother or a sister in Christ, perhaps even one of your fellow church members, were to come tomorrow evening and knock on your door. And as they knock on your door, you come to the door and you can tell something's bothering them. And they have a great need. They are at their wit's end. There is a great need within their lives. And you have the ability to help provide for a need with which they have and rather than being willing to help your brother in Christ, rather than being willing to help your fellow church member with the great need that they have, they don't know where else to go. They have nowhere else to come. They come to you for help, and you say to them, Man, go back to your house. Go home. And I hope whatever your problem is gets resolved. My question for you is this. Have you helped them whatsoever? No. Have you benefited them in any way? No. Have you benefited yourself? Not at all. Because as pastor spoke about this morning, you have refused to show that brotherly kindness to a fellow Christian who was in need. And so we see the example here. He says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, those things that are needed on a regular basis for life, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not the things that are needful for the body, what does it profit? He says, if he comes to you and you simply tell them, go in peace, 
be warmed and filled, and yet you have done nothing to satisfy their need of hunger. You've done nothing to satisfy their need for clothing and raiment from the cold. He says, you have done absolutely nothing. Though you have said the right things, though you have said vain words, without any evidence, without any works, without any um, examples to back up what you're saying, then it's worthless. It is vain. And so what I want you to see is that faith without works is just as useless and just as unprofitable as the man here in this story who refused to help his brother or sister in Christ. You know... It used to be a time in our country where your word meant something. You could bank on the fact that if I said something, I'm going to do it. We're living in a day and age today where your words literally mean absolutely nothing. People lie left and right. They don't stand upon their word anymore. And I say to you tonight that it, if you simply have faith only in word and all you do is simply tell other people about how much you truly love the Lord and yet there is no evidence in your life, there's no works backing up what you claim to be, then what profit is it? I believe what James is trying to get across in this, uh, these passages here is that if I've got faith in God, but yet I am not willing to be obedient to God, then what use am I to God? What profit am I to the Lord whatsoever? He's not interested in how much I can convince other people that I am faithful. He's interested in my obedience. And if I see God for who He really is, and I truly trust Him, then it will drive me to obedience. So we see tonight that saying that you have faith and actually having faith are entirely different. Let's continue. Verse number 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Again, the Holy Spirit of God here is reinforcing what He has already been teaching. The fact that... We must have works to go along with our faith. When you look in the Bible, you'll find that faith and works always go hand in hand. Not works for salvation, but as a believer, your faith in God will always have works as a part of it. You'll be serving the Lord. You'll be obedient to God. He who claims to have faith without any works backing it up cannot prove his faith. That's what the Bible says in verse 18. A man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. Here's my question to you tonight. If I were to come to you tonight and I were to say, you claim to be a man of faith, you claim to be a woman of faith, I want you to show me your faith. Prove to me that you truly are on the outside what you claim to be upon the inside. Would you be able to give me any examples? Would you be able to prove your faith in God? Here, the Holy Spirit says, show me your faith without your works and I will show thee my faith by my works. It is my works for the Lord. It is my testimony. It is the fact that other people can see the way in which I live my life, the places that I do not go, the places that I do go, the things that I choose not to be involved in, and yet the things that I enjoy being involved in. All of those speak to our character and whether or not we truly measure up on the outside with what we claim to be upon the inside. You see, again, we are justified by our works, not by our faith alone. They go hand in hand. Let's continue verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You know, we find that phrase over and over and over again in just a few verses. Faith without works is dead. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us something. 
Faith without works is dead. He says here, you believe that there is one God. You do well. But the devils believe also and tremble. You know, what we're saying here, what we're talking about here, is many people will boast in the fact that they believe that there is a God. They believe in God. And they'll tell you all day long, yes, I've got faith. I believe that there's a God. And here, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit of God is saying, hey, you believe there's one God. That's great. Give yourself a pat on the back. That's awesome. But the devils believe also and they tremble. You see, it's wonderful to believe that there is a God. But what I'm saying to you tonight is that it cannot stop there. It must not cease just at the knowledge and the belief that there is a God. We need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to move beyond the fact that we have belief in a God to a relationship that will continue to grow in the Lord, will continue to increase on our faith and in our knowledge of who He is, a relationship to which we can deepen our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer that we live, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. That ought to be our testimony. There ought to be a relationship. And yet there are so many believers that were content to trust God for salvation. They were content to have faith in God to save them from hell. And yet that's as far as they ever go. They never develop the relationship that God desires for them to have. They never develop the love and the devotion that God desires to have with them as a believer in Christ. You see, there's a lot of people we're willing to trust God and have faith in God to forgive us of our sins so that we can go to heaven But yet there are so many areas in our life to where we are unwilling to trust God. It seems as though we're okay to allow God to save us from hell, but God, when it comes to my entertainment, I'm not trusting you with that. I'll have enough faith to go to heaven, but Lord, when it comes to who I'm going to marry, my spouse, I'm not trusting you with that. Lord, I've got enough faith for you to do something for me that I cannot do for myself. I don't want to go to hell. I want to trust you. But God, when it comes to... My family, I'm not trusting you with my family. And yet, what has happened here? You believe that there's one God, that's wonderful. But so do the devils. They believe that there's a God and they tremble. Notice with me again in verse 20, he says, Wilt thou not know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You can be a believer tonight. You can know Jesus is your Savior. You can be on your way to heaven. And yet your faith in God be so weak and so small. He says here that your faith is dead. No obedience to the Lord. No works. No evidence. Nothing being produced in your life. No fruit. You have become dead in your faith. Not that you've lost your salvation, but your faith in God has become stale and stagnant like the Dead Sea. Everything flows in, nothing flows out, and you have become just a dead, stagnant, and stale Christian in God's sight. You know, God desires for you and I to be actively involved in serving Him. Again, if we have faith in who He is, and it's genuine, not just words, not just vain sayings, then we'll be busy serving the Lord. We must exercise our faith. We must continue to grow in our faith. If our faith is something that can be diminished and yet something that can be built, if it is something that can be weak and at other times can be strong, if it is something that we can grow in and increase in, then you can look at it almost as if our faith is a spiritual muscle to which we can exercise. If I never use my muscles whatsoever, then what happens? They become weak. They become small. Apathy. You get to a place to where you can no longer use your muscles. Well, can I tell you, if we never exercise our faith in God, 
then our faith is very little. Our faith will not amount to anything. Our faith will become vain. And all we can do is just talk. Can I tell you once again, friend, talk is cheap. We need to make sure that we are exercising our faith on a regular basis. How do you do that? You take what little faith you have and you prove God with it. You take one step in faith and as you continue every day to walk in faith, then God will give to you more faith. God will grant to you greater faith than what you had the day before. It's not enough just to say that there's a God. We must move forward by faith in the Lord Jesus Let me give you another example here. As we skip down to verse number 23, the Holy Spirit gives us two examples to drive home the message that He's giving on works and faith going hand in hand. Notice with me, the first example is that of Abraham in verse number 23. Excuse me, let's, uh, verse number 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone, or not by faith only." And so we come here, he gives us an example of Abraham. I believe Abraham is a great example of somebody who exercised their faith in God on a regular basis. We understand tonight, looking back, we know the story of Abraham and we know what was required of him by God. God came to him one day and said, Abraham, I want you to go and offer your son Isaac upon the altar. I want you to take him and with your own hands, I want you to kill and offer your son upon the altar. Here's the question again for you tonight. Do you think that Abraham, in the very beginning, when he first met God, had the kind of faith that it would require of him to trust God with his son, with his family? I would say probably not. Most of us, when we are lost and we're dead in our sins, and it finally dawns upon us that Jesus died for our sins, and we trust Him for salvation, we had enough faith for salvation But yet, baby Christians do not have the great faith to do great things for God. They must grow in the Lord. They must exercise their faith. They must allow their faith to build, their trust in the Lord to build. Abraham, in the very beginning, was not ready by faith to go off and offer his son upon the altar. But yet, how did he get to that place? How does a man get to a place to where he has so much trust in God that he's willing to offer his own flesh and blood, his own son, upon an altar? How do you get to a place to where you as a man are okay with offering your son upon an altar and trusting God with your family? Can I tell you, for Abraham, it was a result of trusting God day in and day out every day of his life. It took faith for him to leave his home and go somewhere where he knew not where he was going. And from that moment on, every day, Abraham exercised his faith in God. And every time he was obedient and every time he just said, God, I trust you, then God rewarded him with more faith and more faith and more faith. Why is it that sometimes we doubt God so much when it comes to great things? It's because we haven't trusted God with the small things. We need to exercise our faith in God. Can I tell you that it was his faith in God that drove him to being obedient to God. When God required of him this high thing, this this big, big thing, what caused him to be willing to do it? 
It was his faith in God. I want you to understand, Abraham's faith in God outweighed human logic. Abraham's faith in God outweighed human emotion. He was willing to trust God with that which was most precious and most dear to him. He was obedient because of his faith. Notice with me um, in verse number 24. He says here, You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. If you're just reading through this casually, you would almost say that there's another contradiction here. In the beginning, we said that there was there could have been a contradiction between salvation by works and what James was talking about in verse 17, but there is not a contradiction. Here we find, once again, in verse number 24, this kind of sounds a little funny. Um, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Here in verse 24 of James 2, James says, You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Again, we almost have a contradiction. Paul says you're justified by faith without works. James says you're justified not by faith only, but by works as well. Let me clarify once again, the Bible does not contradict itself whatsoever. It may seem that way if you're casually reading, but understand, the person of God will never go against the Word of God. There is not a contradiction. When you read in Romans chapter 3, when Paul says you are justified by faith alone, not by works, Paul is speaking of being justified, being declared righteous in the sight of God. Being declared justified in God's sight. When we're in James chapter number 2, what James is referring to is being justified in the sight of men. Being justified before your fellow man. In verse 24 he says that Abraham was justified, uh, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. As we go back up to verse 21, again, the Bible reinforces, Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Seest then thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. You know, it's interesting to me that in verse 21, God does not tell us that Abraham was justified by faith. It says Abraham was justified by works, and his works with his faith made faith perfect, made it complete, made it whole. You know, I believe the Bible tells us here that we need to be justified in the sight of man. That's what James is preaching about. Abraham was justified in the sight of man because of his works. There was an outward expression of the inward faith that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of us, you and I, ought to be justified before man. You know, I meet people from time to time and they have an attitude of, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what anyone in this world thinks about me. You know, most of the time... When you run into people like that and their attitude is, I'm going to do what I do and I don't care what anyone else says about it. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to do what I want. Most of the time, those are probably very vulgar people, not the people we want to be around. But every now and then, we run into people and they have the mindset again that I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And they, they kind of try to justify it and say, well, I'm going to please God. And as long as I'm pleasing God, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Well, in a sense, that's a good attitude to have, but I would say to you this. If you do not care what other people think about you, if you do not care how other people see you, and you may spiritualize it and say, I'm just trying to please God, and if I'm pleasing God, then I could care less what anyone else thinks, I would say to you that you are wrong. 
Now, some of you may be scratching your head right now, but I believe if you do not care what anyone else thinks about you, then you are wrong because the Bible tells me that you and I ought to be blameless, not only in the sight of God, but we ought to be blameless in the sight of men as well. Our testimony carries weight. I'm not talking about compromising who you are to please man. I'm not talking about being a man pleaser, but I'm talking about living your life in such a way to what you claim to be on the inside matches up with what the world sees on the outside. That's the opposite of compromise. Do I care what people think about me? 100% because I don't want my neighbors to see somebody different on the weekend than you see me on Sunday. Do I care what people think about me? Yes, because I don't want my church members to look at me and see a hypocrite. I don't want somebody to look at me and see somebody who is just a Christian in word only but not in deed. I want to make sure that what I do and where I go and how I carry myself is not a stumbling block to anybody else. I care what people think about me because I want to be able to minister to them. I want to be able to serve the Lord. I want to have a testimony and a conscience that is void of offense before God and before man. By the way, if you are living a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord, then you will find yourself being right with mankind. Now listen, one of the requirements for a pastor is to be blameless. I believe as you look at that list of qualifications, that may be the biggest thing on that list. Because what that means is that there is nobody that can bring an occasion against you. Nobody can bring a fault against you and it stick. That's a hard thing. A lot of people can rail accusations, but for them to actually find fault in you that is legitimate, then that's a problem. You see, we're talking about being justified by our works in the sight of man. We need to move beyond just a show and make sure that we are living what we claim to be. Here, Abraham, once again, he offers his son Isaac. He's willing to do what God has called him to do because he trusted God enough to trust God with his family. And that drove him to being obedient to God. And it was by his works that he was justified. You know, from that moment on, from the moment that Abraham rose up early in the morning, grabbed his son Isaac, went to the altar, laid him on the altar, had the knife in his hand, ready to go. Now, we know that God intervened in the last moment. But I want you to see that from the moment Abraham trusted God, that was a mark for his family. That was a mark for the servants and all the household that Abraham had, that he truly was what he claimed to be. That was a visual expression of his faith in God. And from that moment on, Isaac was able to look at his daddy and say, Daddy really does trust God. His household was able to look at Abraham and say, Our master truly does trust God. It's not just words. He just backed up what he claimed to have faith in God. Abraham's faith, again, it produced his obedience. Works made his faith perfect. It was not just a show. It was made complete because now he was able to back up what he claimed to believe in. And notice with me, please, when it comes to you and I, when it comes to our faith in God, I want you to see again, based off the example of Abraham, there are things that God will require of us. If we're going to be obedient to the Lord, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to yield to Him every day of our lives, He's going to require things of us. And sometimes that which the Lord requires of us is not always easy. Sometimes that which the Lord requires of us is not always the thing that we want to do. 
Do you think for a moment that when God came to Abraham and said, Hey, Abraham, I want you to get up in the morning and I want you to go offer your son Isaac upon the altar. Do you think for a moment that Abraham was jumping for joy and was excited and said, Yes, I get to go and sacrifice Isaac in the morning. He's been a real brat lately anyway. I don't think that was his motive whatsoever. But he was willing, again, against human logic, he was willing, even more powerful than his human emotions, to trust God with his life, to trust God with his family, to say, God, I don't understand why, I don't know why, but I'm willing to trust you, and because I've got faith in you, I'll be obedient to what you have, whether or not I truly understand it. Can I tell you tonight, the thing that God may require of you in obedience may not always be what's easy, and it may not always be what you want to do. Do you think it's easy in the day and age in which we live in to take a stand for God? Not always. Do you think it's easy to separate from co-workers, to separate from friends, or maybe even your immediate family when those people become an endangerment to your walk with God? Is it easy to separate from those that you love? Not at all. Yet it is required of us if we're going to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be tonight, and I don't know this, and I wouldn't wish this upon you, but it may be tonight that if you're going to be obedient to God, then what God's plan for you is that you would be obedient, that you would honor and glorify God through your life, through your words, and through your deeds in poverty. It may be God's plan for your life that you follow Him in obedience and be a shining light to others through your sickness. There are so many people that have cancer out in this world. And again, I do not wish that upon anybody. And yet I know, based upon my God, that there are good people, solid believers, who have done nothing wrong, yet God has given them a sickness or an ailment to live with. Why? Because it is God's will that they would bring glory to Him and be an example to others through their sickness. What I'm saying is, what is required is not always easy, and it's not always what we want to do, yet it is always right to serve the Lord. It is always right to be obedient. It was not easy for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, yet when that's what the Lord required, he was willing and he was well able to do that which God asked of him to do. As we continue here, let's close out the chapter. Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then in verse 25, he gives us another example just to drive home this subject. In verse 25, he says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also." We see here, once again, faith and works will always go hand in hand. And sometimes it seems like God is just trying to prove our faith. Sometimes God will require of us, will lead us somewhere in order to prove or to test or to try our faith. You know, Paul said, the trying of your faith worketh patience. You can expect as a child of God to have your faith tested, to have your faith tried. Why is that? (laughs) Oftentimes... God will seek to prove our faith because He wants to see if our faith is really genuine. Is it words only or do we, can we really back up what we claim? More often, perhaps it is when God brings things into our lives to test us and to try us, when He seeks to prove our faith, 
He wants to show us that we're not as genuine as we think we are. How often is it God will bring a circumstance into our life? How often is it God will require a step of obedience simply for you and I to be shown that we're not as faithful as we think we are or as we claim to be? And God tries to get our attention. God's trying to wake us up. God's trying to show us, hey, there's areas in which you need to improve. There's areas you haven't trusted me in. Just let go and let God. There are other times when Satan himself will attack our faith, just as he did Job's trying to tear down our faith in God. And we find when all of those things happen, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of whether it's Satan trying to destroy our faith, or God trying to get our attention, or maybe it's God trying to get somebody else's attention by using us as an example, regardless of the circumstance, it is always right to obey the Lord. Regardless of the circumstances, your faith, if it's genuine, will produce obedience to God. Whether it's easy or whether it's not. If you really have faith, it will produce that obedience. Here we have an example of Rahab the harlot. You know, when you go back to the Old Testament, you look at this woman, Rahab, we understand that she was not an upstanding moral citizen. Okay, the Bible says that she is a harlot. And there she is inside the city, inside the walls of Jericho. And if you'll go back there with me and think for a moment, we have Rahab inside the walls of Jericho. She's in the Canaan land. She's um, in a, a pagan land. And yet she no doubt has heard the fame of the God of Israel. She's heard about Jehovah God and all the exploits and all the miracles that have been done. She hasn't seen it herself, but she's heard of all the things that the nation of Israel has done because of their great God. And yet she begins to have faith. She begins to believe that their God is the only true God. She begins to believe that all the things she's heard really is true. And so she takes a step in what little faith she has, and God rewards her for it. So now the nation of Israel is encamped outside of Jericho. They're ready to go in. They're ready to take the city. And two spies are sent in. And we know the story. As these two spies are sent in, we have this woman, Rahab the harlot, She's heard about Jehovah God. She's heard about the things to which He has been able to do for His people, Israel. And she takes a step in the faith that she has. And she is willing, because she has faith in their God, to show kindness to these spies. She's willing to hide these spies. She's willing to make sure that they have safe passage outside of the walls. And so, we know the story, when the battle began to rage, when the walls came down, it was her faith in God, her obedience to God, that allowed her to escape safe and sound. Now, here's the idea. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment as we conclude, if Rahab had never hid the spies. What if Rahab had never shown kindness to those two spies? What if... She claimed to have faith, but she never had an action to support her faith. What if she never housed those spies? And yet the army is lined up. They're getting ready to invade. And out of nowhere, here comes Rahab running out of the walls, waving a white flag saying, Wait! I believe in Jehovah! I believe in your God! I've got faith in your God! Do you think that she would have still been spared? Now, we can... Speculate, I don't truly know the answer to this, but I would say chances are probably not. 
And yet she was spared because she had already proven that she did have the faith. It was her actions to show kindness to the spies. It was her action to hide those spies that proved to the nation of Israel that she really did have faith in their God. It was not just words. It was not just idle speak. She truly had faith and they saw it. They saw her deeds. They saw her action and they knew it to be true. And the Bible says in verse 25, it was her word that justified her in the sight of man. For uh, Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What I'm saying to you tonight is faith and works go hand in hand. If you really have genuine faith, you'll be busy serving the Lord. If you're not busy, if you become stagnant, if you become idle in your Christian walk, then chances are you've allowed your faith to become very weak. And you've allowed your faith to diminish. The greatest need in any ministry is people to do the work. The greatest need in any ministry here at Central Baptist Church, outside of God's enabling power, is men and women, boys and girls, willing to jump in and labor together. When it comes to a church, the greatest need is we need preachers to preach. We need Sunday school teachers to teach. We need bus workers willing to sacrifice their time. We need church members willing to sing in the choir. We need men and women willing to go out and witness. We need those willing to go visit the shut-ins. The greatest need in any ministry are people to do the work. Can I tell you, there's a lot of work that can be done here at Central Baptist. There's a lot of ministries with which we can use more laborers for the glory of Christ. Where are the laborers? Why are we not stepping up? We've allowed our faith to become stagnant. We've allowed our faith to become as dead. Faith without works is dead. What I'm saying to you tonight is we need to get back to trusting God with every area of our lives. And if we'll trust Him then it'll drive us to obedience in God. You say, Pastor, the truth is, I I believe that I'm as right as I can be with God. Yes, there's areas in which I could probably do some more. I know there's some, some different places where I should probably get involved, but as much as I can be, I'm right with God. Can I tell you, friend, if that's your attitude, you are not right with God. Because my Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And if you sit in your pew week in and week out, and you know in your heart that God has told you you should be more active here, you should get up and go here, you should work in this ministry, you should do this, you need to be more involved, and you have ignored the voice of God in your heart, you are not right with God. You are sitting in your pew living in sin week in and week out. My challenge to you tonight... Is your faith alive? Is your faith a faith that works? Is there evidence in your life for the world to see that you are what you claim to be? Is your faith alive tonight? Or have you become a stale, stagnant, dead Christian? Let's bow for a word of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed.